And, uh, you know, I, I've lot, been up here after a lot of sermon bumpers. I never see people squirming normally. Got a little squirming. The middle school students up here are like, what did we get into today? Uh, I can see you at home. I can see what you're doing right now. You're like, oh, boy, like what's going to happen? Some of you are like, what is Ronnie going to say? And I know some of you are assuming because I'm pastor guy and we're in church that I'm going to say something like sex is bad, stay far, far away from it. And I just want you to know you're crazy. I would never say that. As a matter of fact, I just want to start off saying sex is great. Uh, and it's great. I really believe this. It's great because creator God created it. And According to him, at least, everything he created was so, so good. I don't know if you know this, but actually, right at the beginning of the Bible, the first two marching orders that God gave humans is have dominion over his creation and be fruitful and multiply. Essentially, through that, God was saying, positively influence everything I've created and have sex. So sex is, it's God's idea. He created it. He's for it. And I actually think one thing that we can all agree on is that there's nothing like sex. And we can agree on this for a few different reasons. There's, there's nothing like sex because nobody new is ever created without sex. So there's nothing like sex. And we get just more surface level. There's nothing like sex because nothing feels better, nothing looks better, nothing excites us more, nothing is more fun, nothing is more adventurous than sex. But I actually think there's more to this than that surface level. See, according to the writers of Scripture, at least, there's nothing like sex because nothing impacts like sex. Now, you don't need the Bible, you don't even need to believe that anything written in the Bible is true to know that this statement is true. Because we know nothing in this world, uh, nothing in this world has positively or negatively impacted families, marriages, communities, countries, churches, relational intimacy, identities, education, us, like sex has. I mean, nothing consumes people like sex. Nothing intrigues people like other, you know, like sex. Nothing tempts people like sex. Nothing drives people like sex. And on the negative side of it, nothing has divided our country, families, churches, our community like sex. There's nothing like sex because nothing impacts like sex. See, I, I kind of think of like sex like fire. And fire, it's so good in its proper context. And we know it's like we all love sitting around the fire and a fire pit. And we love, you know, we can sit around a fire and it's warm. We love to cook marshmallows. And it's so interesting. We'll sit around a fire pit and we'll talk. And it's like we'll stare at a fire forever. We've seen fire. Yet we look, every time we get around it, we're like, it looks like we've never seen one before because we're just like, we're just in days, you're dazed by the thing. And we'll stare at a fire forever. I mean, can you imagine camping without a campfire? Like imagine camping without this thing. It's so amazing in its proper context. But what is so great becomes extraordinarily destructive when it gets outside of a controlled environment, doesn't it? When that little fire gets outside, it becomes a forest fire. And right now you know this, what's going on all along the West Coast, right? From Lake Tahoe all through California. Fire has gotten, it's just destroying everything. Well, in this destruction, fire's not the problem. Fire is not the problem. The location of fire is the problem. See, I think Father God, he created sex. 
He, he made the fire. He brought the wood. He brought the matches. He brought the, you know, gasoline. He threw the gas on the fire. He threw the match on, and boom. And he's going, hey, you think the stars were cool? You think the sun was cool? Like, wait till you see this. And the angels at that moment were going, I I wish I was a human. You know, and just like fire, sex is good and it's wonderful and it's powerful. There's nothing like sex and that's why we are so intrigued by it. There's nothing like sex on a positive level, on a negative level. Because there's nothing that impacts like sex like a positive level and on a negative level. Which makes sex worth understanding and respecting. Sex is in a category all on its own. This fire will positively impact like nothing else within creator God's created intent for it. But outside of creator God's created intent for it, it becomes extraordinarily destructive like a forest fire. There's nothing like sex because nothing impacts like sex. And why is it that way? Because creator God created it that way. I think we all intuitively know that nothing impacts like sex. We, we like we know this, but we don't treat it that way. We treat it like it's no big deal. We treat it like it's just physical. We treat it like we're playing ping pong or something or, or touch football, well, tackle football probably. We treat it like tackle football, right? And if no one gets hurt, as long as everybody agrees, as long as everyone loves one another, as long as, you know, no one was against it, as long as, you know, you know, it was, it was a, you know, it we're good. So have a great time. As long as no one got an STD and no one got pregnant, then we're good. And when it's over, we kind of just move on and because it's just, we treat it like it's just physical. But the truth I hope you know and I hope you believe before you walk out today is nothing impacts like sex because sex is not just physical. Once again, I think we all know this. But if you don't know it, I want to bring it front and center today. Sex is so much more than just physical, and it impacts us so much more than just, what it, than just impacting our physical bodies. The question is how. And to answer that question, I'm going to go to a passage in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Now, before I jump into this passage, I know that some of you are just going to kind of want to check out today and dismiss me today. And for a lot of different reasons, either because you're young and I said sex and you're like, Wee! and um, or because you're older and you're like, I'm kind of past this stage of life or, you know, you're married, you, you know, whatever, you don't, you don't believe in the Bible, what's written in the Bible is true. You're just going to want to dismiss everything I'm saying today, and you can absolutely dismiss me. But I would just encourage you not to, just for the next few moments. I'd invite you not to dismiss me, just kind of hang with me just for a few minutes because I believe if you kind of listen to apply and apply what we're going to talk about today, it can be life-changing for you because so much of our lives revolve around sex and nothing impacts like sex does. Now, 1 Corinthians is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul about 20 years or so after the events of Jesus' life to the church or the community of people who had put their faith in Jesus in the city of Corinth. Now, in first century Corinth, sex was... It was just a hobby. It was just an activity. It was just something people did. It was just another activity in the midst of the day. You know, you get up, you brush your teeth, you eat breakfast, you get the kids ready for school, you take the kids to school, you go to work, you go on lunch break, you go back to work. After work, you go to happy hour, get a beer with the buddies, you go have sex with a prostitute, you pick your kids up from school, you go home, eat dinner, take them to soccer practice, come home, and go to bed. You're like, it's just another activity 
like any other activity in the day. Sex is, was no big deal. It was just a pastime. It was just physical. And that may sound totally off the wall to some of us, but let's be honest, that's not much different than it is in our culture today. And in the midst of that culture, in first century Corinth, Paul writes some very strong words to, those who, to the church in Corinth, to those who were followers of Christ. And he says this. He says, flee, which, by the way, that, you know what that means. It means run, get as far away from, as fast as possible. Flee from, not sex. Sex isn't bad. Sex is great. God created it. Flee from sexual immorality, which leads to the question, What is sexual immorality? Well, in short, sexual immorality is defined as any act of sex outside of God's, uh, outside of creator God's created intent for it. Which leads to the next obvious question, what's creator God's created intent for sex? And I'm going to answer that question, but not yet. Because I want to talk about a few other things before I answer that question. But here's the deal. Regardless of who you are, of the age you are, of the culture that you grew up in, of if you call yourself a follower of Christ or not, if you're a church person or not, believe anything written in the Bible or not, regardless, I guarantee you have a line when it comes to sex and anything past that line for you, you would, you would define as sexual immorality. Every single one of us has a line. And past that line, every single one of us would say that's sexual immorality. I don't know what your line is, but you know what your line is. The question is, is your line and creator God the creator of you, the creator of sex, creator God's line, the same line. Because you have a line. And he has a line. So are those lines the same line? Now that's an important question because if those lines are different, what your, what your response to Paul is going to be is, this is just some religious dude, narrow-minded religious dude. This is what religious people say. That, you know, they always say that, flee from sexual immorality. That's what religious people always say. And you need to know is, no, it's not. Historically, religion has not been to flee from sexual immorality, regardless of how you would define sexual immorality. I mean, most religions in and before the first century incorporated multiple upon multiple sex partners. Historically, man-made religions have always been manufactured around sexual abuse, sexual exploitation, and sexual power. Think about every, man, every cult that you know of today. What do all the cults that you know of today haven't seem to have in common? They seem to have, have in common one guy who all of a sudden put this sexual twist that allowed him to have the right and the power to have sex with whoever, however he wanted to have sex with, right? So this is not the religious thing to say. Paul's not a narrow-minded religious guy. He's the guy bringing truth about our Heavenly Father into this broken world. He's the guy bringing truth about, how, about following Jesus into this broken world. He's the, he's the guy bringing truth about creator God's created intent for sex into a broken world. So it says, flee from sexual immorality. This next phrase is so insightful when it comes to how sex impacts like nothing else. He says, all all other sins. You're like, what's sin? We talk about this all the time. Define it all the time. Sin is a violation. It's a violation against Holy Creator God. It's a violation against His created intent for us. It's a violation against His created will for us. Which is why we always talk about sin doesn't make us bad. Sin makes us dead. If sin just made us bad, Jesus wouldn't come and have to have to die for our sins. Sin makes us dead. So Jesus had to die so that we can be, he could offer us life and forgiveness. Sin kills. doesn't matter what the sin is. It ki sin kills relationships. 
You've seen this. However you define sin, you know that. It kills relationships. It kills people's futures. It kills people's freedom. It kills people's peace, peace within themselves, peace with others, peace with God. It kills true joy. It kills character. I mean, that's the case with all sin. But Paul says, all other sins... So he's talking about every single one, meaning every other category of sin, regardless of how big or small that sin is. All other sin a person commits are outside the body. Every one of them. But whoever sins sexually is saying it's a category all its own because there's nothing like sex. Whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Paul's going, sexual immorality, you've got to understand it's like no other sin. Not because it's worse than any other sin. It's not worse. Sexual immorality is, is like no other sin, not because God hates it more, not because God will judge you more harshly for this one, not because God won't forgive this one. Sexual immorality is like no other sin because it impacts, Paul would say, you like no other sin does. What Paul is saying and what you would expect a good God who loves us to say is when we sin sexually, we hurt ourselves. Not just the physical you, because you know there's more to you than just your physical body. When we sin sexually, we hurt ourselves at the deepest level imaginable, at the core of who we are, at our soul. When we sin sexually, we literally sin against our true self, our soul self. Nothing impacts us like sex, because sex is not just a physical thing. It's a soul thing. Nothing impacts us like sex because sex leaks the, the physical and non-physical part of you. It, sex bridges body and soul. Nothing impacts us like sex because there is a connection between our sexual behavior and our soul, both positively and negatively. There's nothing like sex because nothing impacts like sex, positively and negatively. Sex outside of God's created intent for it is extraordinarily destructive because it impacts our souls. It impacts who we are at the deepest level of who we are in a way that no other sin that we commit does. And as I said before, we intuitively know this. We intuitively know that sex is not just physical. doesn't matter what you believe. You intuitively know it. We intuitively know that sex is not just a physical thing. It's a soul thing. Especially, you know it, when you've seen someone go through sexually, sexual abuse or you've been sexually abused. If, if sex was just a physical thing, when a person was sexually abused, when their physical wounds are healed from that, they'd just be able to go on like nothing happened before. But that's not the case, is it? So many times people who are sexually abused are negatively big time affected for 10, 20, 30, 40 years in the future when all the physical wounds are way healed up, yet their heart and their soul still feel so heavy and they're filled with shame and anxiety because of that. See, we intuitively know that sex is not just a physical thing, it's a soul thing because most people's greatest regrets involve around something sexual. We intuitively know that sex is not just a physical thing, it's a soul thing because even when you practice safe sex, it doesn't protect you from the emotional consequences of that physical act, does it? And has it? We intuitively know that sex is not just a physical thing, it's a soul thing. Yet we live in a culture that wants to make it simple, that wants to make it surface, that wants to make it just physical. Ah, it's just one time. It's just spring break. 
Well, we're in love. I was just experimenting. I was just having fun. It's just physical. It's not impacting me. And it's a lie. Sex is physical, but it's not just physical. It touches us at the deepest level of our being. And if we treat it like it's just physical, we hurt ourselves at the deepest level imaginable. And so Paul's saying, come on, flee from that. Flee from sexual immorality. Not because God's against sex. He's not against sex. He created it. Because the, but because the God who created sex is for you and loves you. There's nothing like sex. So Paul reminds us there's nothing like sexual sin. Not because this sin is unforgivable, but because this one can make our life unbearable. Not because this sin is going to send you to hell. It's because this sin has the potential to make your life hell on earth. If we let this fire out of the pit, it has the power to destroy you. There's no category of sin like sexual sin because it impacts you like no other sin does and no other sin can. And to really understand why, we just need to go back a couple of verses. Here's what Paul said just a couple of verses earlier. Do you not know? Do you not know? And he says this because Paul's writing to relatively new followers of Christ, people who had, not, who had put their faith in Jesus not all that long ago, and maybe they didn't know. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ itself? Remember, we talked about this in the last series, in our Hardwired series, that when, when, as the moment we put our faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of our sins and leader of our life, we are now part of the body of Christ. We're referred to as the body of Christ. We're Jesus' hands and feet. We're the physical representation of Jesus on this earth. We are now united with Christ in his death and resurrection. So Paul says, shall I take the members of Christ, which is who we are, as followers of Christ, as people who put our faith in Jesus, and, and then he uses a word that shocked the, his audience, as this should shock us, and unite them with a prostitute. Now, real quick, without even defining what creator God's created intent for sex is yet, we would all agree, I don't care what you believe about the Bible and what you don't believe about the Bible, what you believe about God, what you don't believe about God, I don't care of your age. We would all agree that prostitution could probably be defined as sexual immorality. Right, because even in the world that we live in, in the country we live in, this one, you'll get arrested for. Which means the government has defined it as sexual immorality. I mean, in the most, like, free sexual culture ever, it's like that one, mm, line. So we can all agree, prostitution, that's probably sexual immorality. But here's the crazy thing. The new followers of Christ in Corinth, in the first century Corinth that Paul is writing to, they didn't think prostitution was sexual immorality. That wasn't even a blip on the radar for them. They grew up and lived in a culture that believed it was okay to do everything that you sexually craved. If you craved it, do it. It's just physical. As long as no one's getting hurt, you do you. I mean, these people that Paul's writing to, they wanted to follow Jesus. And they assumed following their sexual cravings had nothing to do if they were following Jesus or not. They assumed following their sexual cravings was a matter of indifference for them just like it was for everyone else. And Paul's going, being united with Christ is incompatible with sin, especially sexual sin because there is a uniting of who you are and who you are as a member of Christ's body. There is a uniting of who you are through sex. He goes on. 
Do you not know? He says it again because they didn't know like maybe some of us don't know. Do you not know that he who, and here's this word again, he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body. Now this word unites, it's, 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 it carries a sense of like a permanent binding together. Like if you were to take two pieces of paper and, you know, like cement them or glue them together, like a permanent binding together, a becoming one. And Paul's audience, the church in Corinth is going, nobody's uniting. We're just having sex. I'm not becoming one with anyone. And Paul's going, you obviously don't understand sex. Because when you have sex, there is a sense of uniting. There's a sense of permanence being created. There's a sense of becoming one. And then Paul reaches way back to the book of Genesis, first book of our Bibles, and quotes a verse from the creation account to substantiate his point. He says, for it is said, the two become one flesh. I mean, in Genesis 2, right after the creation of humanity, God immediately communicated how sex impacts. And he, he immediately told us because he created it to impact like nothing else can and nothing else does. He immediately told us because we were going to be so intrigued by this fire. He immediately told us because he knew it was going to be such a big deal. He immediately told us that he designed sex to create an indissoluble bond between people's souls. So what Paul is saying and what God is saying and we need to be reminded of this, nothing impacts sex because sex is not just a physical thing. It's a soul thing. Sex is not just a pastime. It's a pathway to your soul and it impacts your soul both positively and negatively like nothing else can and nothing else does. And that's why Paul says with as strong as he can say it, flee, flee from sexual immorality. This sin is in a category all its own because of how it impacts your soul is in a category all its own. Did you know, did you know that our souls were created by creator God to relate intimately with him and intimately with others and intimately with ourselves? Did you know that? According to Paul, somehow, and i got to be honest with you, he doesn't explain the somehow. Somehow, sexual immorality negatively impacts our soul's ability to do just that. Somehow, and Paul doesn't explain the somehow, sexual immorality kills our soul's ability to experience intimacy with God, intimacy with others, and intimacy with ourselves. Somehow, and he doesn't explain it, it destroys our soul's ability to relate to God, to relate to others, and to relate to ourselves in a healthy way. It distorts our soul's view and how our soul interacts with God and others and ourselves. And somehow, and he doesn't explain the somehow, sexual immorality drastically affects our soul's ability to know and be fully known by God, to know and be fully known by others, to know and be fully known by ourselves. See, this is not perfect illustration, but hopefully it brings it to light. We assume so often, we know it's not true, but it's what, the way we live, we assume that sex is just physical and it just come together and we're good. It doesn't impact us. We're good. But according to Paul, somehow sex unites souls. There's a uniting, there's a permanence that comes through this act of sex. And then according to Paul, somehow, sexual immorality 
it rips at our souls. It tears our souls in a way that we can no longer have the ability to relate to God, others, and ourselves the way that we were created to and the way that we desire to. And why? Because a whole healthy soul, a whole healthy soul is required to experience a whole and healthy relationship with God, with others, and with ourselves. And some of us are experiencing this right now, and we don't understand why. We don't know why we just seemingly fell out of love with our spouse. We don't know why we can't seem to love anyone. We don't know why we have such deep depression since they broke up with us. We don't know why we can't ever seem to sense God's presence. We don't know why we don't have passion for God like we used to. We don't know why, you know, we have so much relational conflict in our life. We don't know who we are. We don't know why we don't know who we are anymore. We don't know why we don't even like ourselves anymore. And is it possible? I don't know. I'm just asking you. Like, is it possible? Is it possible that how we've chosen to pursue sex is not God's created intent for it and our souls have been negatively impacted by it? Is it possible? Is it possible that sexual immorality is why we have so many relational problems in the world. One of the reasons we have so many relational problems in the world. I don't know, is it possible? You want to dismiss that phrase real fast, but is it possible? Because of how our, so many of our souls have been affected. Is it possible? This is one of the things that's underneath humanity's ugliness. Our souls have been affected. Is this one, of, is, is it possible? I don't know. Is it possible that this is a, one of the reasons we have so much depression and anxiety and despair? I don't know. Is it possible? Is it possible that most of us haven't begun to grasp how our sexual decisions have impacted us, have impacted our families, have impacted our relationships? have impacted our community, have impacted our experience of God? Is it, is it possible? I don't know. And you don't know either. Is it possible? Listen, we need to know what we all get a choice with and what we all don't get a choice with. Because God created us with free will. We all get to choose to do anything we want sexually. You get the choice. Your heavenly father gives you the choice and me the choice to do anything we want sexually. You get to do that. You get to choose. You and I get to choose to do that. But what you and I don't get to choose is the impact of that on our souls. You don't get to choose that. I don't get to choose that. Nothing impacts like sex because sex is not just a physical thing. It's a soul thing. And that's why our heavenly father who loves us says through Paul, flee from sexual immorality, it will mess you up in a way that no other sin does. For those who are followers of Christ, 
What Paul says in closing, it is so important for you and me. Listen, listen to what he says. He says, do you not know, there it is again, because they didn't know either, like maybe some of us don't know. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And they're going, no, we didn't know that. Like I thought my body was my body, and I do what I want, and God's in heaven, and, you know, if then I feel bad about what I do, then I just go to church on Sunday, and I just, you know, ask for forgiveness, then I go on and do whatever I want with my body because my body's my body. Paul's going, no, 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 no. Do you not know that if you put your faith in Jesus by asking him to be the forgiver of your sins and lead your life, that God's spirit has taken residence in you, that he now resides in you, that you are his holy temple. He says, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. He's saying your body's not your body. If you're a follower of Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus, he's saying all of you belongs to God because the forgiveness of your sin, your salvation, you being reconciled to your heavenly father, your eternal life has been bought, has been purchased, has been redeemed at a price. And the price was Jesus' sacrifice for you on the cross. The price was Jesus shed blood for you on the cross. He says, therefore, and here's his application, his conclusion, honor God with your bodies. As a follower of Christ, the standard for our sexual behavior should be to honor God. To go from, I will do what feels right and good to me, to God, I will honor you in all that I do. Which leads back to the question I still haven't answered yet. What is creator God's created intent for sex? It's a great question. And I'm going to answer that question in detail next week. So make sure you come back next week. And here's the reason. Here's the reason I'm going to wait until next week. The reason I'm going to be wait, wait is because the answer to that question, what's creator God's created intent for sex, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter until you honestly answer an important question first. An important question that Paul ended his challenge to the church in Corinth with. And the question is, do you want to honor God with your body? You could ask it a different way based on what Paul says. Do you want to flee from sexual immorality? But do you want to honor God with your body? If your answer to this question is not yes, with no strings attached, it doesn't matter what God's created intent for sex is anyway because you're not going to pursue it anyway. So, do you want to honor God with your body? Married people, do you want to honor God with your body? Divorced people, do you want to honor God with your body? Gay people, do you want to honor God with your body? Straight people, do you want to honor God with your body? Transgender people, do you want to honor God with your body? Teenagers, do you want to honor God with your body? Old people, do you want to honor God with your body? Those of you who say you're followers of Christ, Do you want to honor God with your body? Now, I realize that some of you don't care about honoring God with your body right now. Some of you say you do, but you you don't. And I want you to know, if you don't care about honoring God with your body, I'm so glad you're here. You don't need to feel judged. You get to make that decision if you don't want to honor God with your body. I hope you come back, and I hope you stay engaged, and I hope you make relevant your church. You get to make that decision. But I do want to ask you a question leaving all the Bible stuff out of it and all the God stuff out of it. I just want to ask you a question. There's no judgment. If you say, I don't want to honor God with my body, at least be honest with yourself. I'm not judging you for it. But I do want to ask you a question. And my question for you is, has your sexual behavior made your life significantly better or more complicated? 
And if you were honest, you would say there's some complications in your life today that are there because of your sexual choices. I mean, we live in a culture that says if it feels good, if it feels right, if you're in love, do it because it's going to make your life better. And you don't need, to know, you don't need to, the Bible to know that's a lie. You don't need the Bible to know that ain't working. People are not happy, happier. Families are not healthier. Life is not better. And your life, you would say, is not better. And it seems so obvious, yet we still ignore it. So I hope through this series, if you say, I don't really care about honoring God with my body, I hope your answer to this question changes. I hope you reconsider your answer to this question at least. Not because I want anything from you, but because I want something for you. I want the same thing for you that you want for you. I want your life to be better. I don't want your life to be more complicated. I want your soul to be whole and not wounded. You want that too. So I hope you at least will consider, at least reconsider your answer to this question. Now, for those of you who want to take a next step to follow Jesus by honoring God with your body, I believe the next few weeks they can be life-transforming for you. For some of you, you're going to make decisions over the next few weeks that help you avoid your soul from being unnecessarily wounded in the future. And that's awesome. For others, regardless of, of your past or your current sexual decisions, sexual choices, you're going to make some decisions over the next few weeks that, that lead you to begin experiencing healing in your wounded soul. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care what you're currently doing right now. This does not have to be the end of your story. Jesus came for you and me. He died for you and me. He rose for you and me. And he offers healing and redemption and hope and life to our broken and dead souls when we take next to follow, to follow Jesus by honoring God with our bodies. Regardless of what we've done in the past. Regardless of what we're currently doing right now. And I know that that's going to happen for many people over the next few weeks. But let me just... Before I launch into this in the next few weeks, I do want to say just a couple things first. Throughout this series, over the next three weeks, you've got to know that I am talking about our sexual choices. The choices that we make sexually that, that lead to our sexual actions. I am not talking about sexual abuse. I'm not going to be talking about that for the next three weeks. So for anyone, I want you to know, anyone who's been sexually abused or is currently being sexually abused, my heart breaks for you. You need to know that was not your choice and it is not your fault. I know it feels like you're dead inside. But it was not your choice and it's not your fault. Jesus wants to heal your soul. And he proved he can when he rose from the grave. So I encourage you to begin seeking his healing today to, by getting help. Begin seeking his healing today by getting help. And your help could look in many different ways. It could be through counseling or just telling someone the first time or going through our fresh start class or whatever your help is. Take a next step in getting that help because there, there can be healing for your soul. God wants there to be healing for your soul. So take that step. And if you're going, I don't know, listen, email us. We will help you take a step. Go to our website, to our counseling page. We've got a list of resources there. If you're like, I can't afford to take this step to get help, we will pay for it for you to get this help. But get this help. But I'm not going to be talking about sexual abuse over the next few weeks. I'm going to be talking about the decisions that we make over the next, next few weeks. So the second thing I want to talk about 
before, just say before I launch into this series is regardless if you answered yes or no to this question, do I want to honor God with my body? Regardless if you answered yes or no to this question, I'm assuming at some point over the next few weeks, there's going to be some of you that probably are going to get all upset, all uncomfortable, and want to not come back and turn it off or walk out, not come back till this series is over. And the... <laughs> uh, and because nothing impacts like sex, you have a lot of emotions wrapped up in this topic, right? You're, you're, you're going to disagree with something I say, and, uh, and you know, one of the reasons you're going to get all emotional is because you're going to disagree with something I say, and because nothing impacts like sex, you're going to get all emotional. You have a lot of emotions wrapped up into this, and some of you are just waiting in the defensive position right now to see if I agree or disagree with something that, that you believe to be true, and, over the, and if I disagree with you, you're going to be getting all emotional, and you're going to end up walking out of here. You're going to, I'm never coming back, and how could they, and they don't love me. <clears throat> so let me say something. Over the next few weeks, you get to, if I say something you disagree with and you get all emotional, don't lose your mind and bail out. I want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you to have the determination through this entire series to seek God's truth. Who knows? Maybe everything I'm saying is just a big fat lie. Maybe I know nothing I'm talking about. It's a real possibility. Maybe I'm a complete idiot. Maybe all that's true. Maybe, listen. So you don't need to listen to a word I say. You can disagree with everything that I say over the next few weeks. But if you end up disagreeing, I just want to encourage you to have the determination throughout the series to see God's truth. If you disagree, ask why. Just ask yourself why. Is it that it's not true? Or that's that I don't like it? And so in that moment, just say, okay, God, not Ronnie. God, what's your truth here? What's your truth here? If you do, I, I believe over the next few weeks you can encounter God in a way you've never encountered God before. And if you disagree with everything I say by the end of this series and you're like, that Ronnie's an idiot and he doesn't know what he's talking about, that's okay. Listen, I still love you. We can disagree. Relevant's still the church for you. You can be loved and you are loved. And, man, awesome. You don't need to feel bad about that. The other reason that some of you are going to, like, get emotional and maybe walk out and not want to come back to this series is over is because through this series, you're going to feel convicted. If you feel shame at any point in this series, I need you to know, that is not from God. If you feel shame at any point in this series, that is not from God. But if you feel a conviction... Conviction to change something? I bet it is from God. Your heavenly father will not convict you because he wants you to feel bad about yourself. He convicts you and me because he loves us, because he's for us, and because he wants the best for his children. So if you feel convicted to change something, that's not the time to disengage. That's the time instead to take a next step and follow Jesus. And taking, and taking that next step, he will bring life and he will bring healing to your soul. The, the message of this series, you've got to know, the message of this series is not condemnation. There's no message of condemnation in this entire series. The message of this series is God loves you so much, he's spoken into this area. 
And he is ready and willing to redeem and heal every area of our wounded souls. Jesus is just waiting for us to run in his direction, to make some difficult decisions and following him, and then to trust him with all the outcomes. So let's do that. Let's take a next step in following Jesus by honoring, discovering what it looks like to honor God with our bodies and doing that. Let, let's do it to, to redeem our soul's ability to know and be fully known by God, to know and be fully known by others, and to know and be fully known by ourselves. Let's do it because nothing impacts like sex. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, I pray the next few weeks uh, as we look into this that we're just blown away first by your love for us. We're blown away by your truth uh, that we just... Wherever there's feelings of conviction, we choose to take next steps toward you, God. And I pray where healing is needed, healing happens. God, I pray where um, conviction is needing, conviction happens. Where clarity is needing, clarity happens. God, I pray that you do the speaking. You do whatever you want to do. God, they're, they're, they're your truths and, and not my truths that are ultimately heard. Um, God, I pray through this that um, we walk out four weeks from now, healthier people and a healthier church. Ultimately, I pray four weeks from now, you're just more glorified by us and the condition of our hearts and our desires to follow you, our desire to follow you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.